Hello and welcome to Fragmenters, the most entertaining podcast that I've found where you get to have a conversation with business women who are enthusiastic about life, work, and money. We love building up other women and getting them ready for their new careers. Cause, 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 no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Hello and welcome back to Fragmenters, my friends. Today, I'd love to introduce our guest. But first, I have to remind you that getting our name out will only happen if you like, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And I wanted to remind you that we have a group over on Facebook called Fragmenters, where all of us ladies get to voice our opinions, have conversations, and get to know each other better. Today, I'm speaking with Claire Chandler. She's an executive leadership advisor. And Claire, I'd love you to explain to everyone what that is. Well, first of all, thank you, Dina, for having me. It's great to come on to your show. I've heard all great things. So hopefully we will just continue to add to the amazingness. So I am Claire Chandler. I'm an executive leadership advisor. Uh, I am a corporate survivor. So I came out of corporate America in 2011. And I work with large complex organizations from the other side, right? So I came from that world. I know about the bureaucracy and the cultural toxicity and all of that stuff. And I've really built a business around helping executives get out of their own way and helping their teams work together more effectively in less time without so much cultural resistance. Oh, that's awesome. So people call you in when they're having cultural issues or when leadership is having headbutting issues. Yeah, it's it's more of the headbutting. They don't necessarily recognize it right on the face of it that it's, you know, that the there are cracks in their cultural foundation, but it is by and large really that is the the cause, right? They're their culture is crumbling or it's not really strong. The epiphany I I always try to get my executive leader clients to is to understand that they and their behavior at the top has the biggest impact on the culture, right? I think a lot of leaders mistakenly believe that culture bubbles up from the bottom and from the ground level and from, you know, sort of the foot soldiers throughout the organization. But in fact, employees take their cue from the leadership at the top, right? Because that's what gets advanced. And that's who has the cushy corner office and the great compensation and all of those sorts of things. So if executive leaders are behaving badly, if they are walking around with the do as I say, not as I do type of mentality, and then turn around and wonder why the people beneath them are not performing up to their potential, are behaving badly and causing more drama than, you know, performance, why they're getting beat up by their competitors in the market. And so the first thing I always do is kind of hold up that mirror to say, you know, heal thyself first, right? We've got to work from the top (laughs) down if you really have any shot at all of growing in the right direction. I Love that outlook. My manager, she's the best manager I've ever had. She has sent out a cultural survey and asked everyone what they feel the culture is. And her perspective is she can tell everyone how she thinks it is, but she has to get what we think it is from us. And then she can start forming it how she feels it should go. I love her because she asks for feedback like honest feedback. And you can say, Hey, sometimes when we're talking, you always check your phone, you know? (laughs) And when you do that, it makes me feel like I don't matter as much. And she takes the criticism and works with it. First manager that I've had openly say, what is my issue and how do I address it? Now that she's got to the manager position, 
she is taking it to a much larger level and fixing Mm -hmm. cultural issues instead of just personal. So I love that about her because she's already a kind of a walking example of what more executive leaders need to do. So if Mm -hmm. there are executive leaders in your audience, they really need to lean in and pay attention to what you just said, because I think there are two things in that that she's doing really, really well. And it's being very smart about that. One, she's creating an environment that makes it safe for people to speak up and challenge her which is really, really important, right? And she's not just paying lip service to it. She's not saying, no, 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 I want your feedback. I want to you know, hear from you. And then smacking down anything that runs counter to her own narrative. Oh yeah. And that's what I've always gotten before. And that's huge because so many people don't do that. And the second is that she is calibrating her own worldview by getting that feedback and actually listening to it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I talk to leaders all the time about the concept of mission and purpose, right? It has to start with that. And so often executives will sort of puff themselves up and and say, we have a very, we have a very compelling mission and we have a mission statement on our website. And they kind of do the head bob, like the night at the Roxbury, right? They're like, how cool (laughs) are we? And I always say to them, how do you know that your people understand the mission? And they always kind of look at me like, well, well, it's, it, it's on the wall, like the mission statement's on the wall and it's on our website. And it's like, okay, that's all great. But I would be willing to bet if you're not going out and talking to people and hearing them reflect back to you, truly what that mission is, just like your manager is doing and kind of reflecting back, how are they interpreting that? What does that mean for them? If they're not asking that, then I would be willing to bet that their culture is the type that they walk past that mission poster on the wall and they make jokes about it. Yep. And that's a telltale sign that they are not doing what your manager is doing. Yep. I've been in that environment for sure. I started in gold mining. They're like, safety first, safety first. No, production first. Yeah. Yeah. Gold so. mining. There's a story. Oh, yeah. It was an experience. And I am so grateful for it. But I am even more thankful I'm out of it. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you... I love how you coined it, survive Mm. corporate world. What made you decide to leave and use your powers for good and try to fix it? Oh, I love how you just phrased that question. Okay, so you you know how there are these studies out there that say, you know, the impact of toxic cultures, the impact of, you know, the lack of psychological safety kind of translates into physical ailments and, you know, uh, the breakdown of mental wellness and, of course, the rise of absenteeism and all of these sorts of things. I'm a living example of that. So back in 2011, I was uh, the vice president of human resources for a large global organization. And I was traveling all over the country three, you know, three weeks out of four, I was on the road Mm -hmm. and I had a health scare that the younger Claire would have ignored. The younger Claire would have said, ain't got time for that. We'll deal with that later. And something told me not to ignore it. And it led to a cancer diagnosis. And so in the spring of 2011, I had to go from traveling all the time, 150 miles an hour to literally delegating hundred percent of what I was doing. And I was so blessed because I had an amazing talented team and I had to take work, uh, take off work for a, for a month and have surgery and have treatment and you know, all of that stuff. Fast forward, I'm cancer-free now. That's, that's not how this story ends. But when you are forced into a, a, a period of solitude and isolation and silence, I finally got to the point where I couldn't outrun that voice in my head that had been trying to ask me, are you doing what you're passionate about? And I had been in that company for about 15 years and I loved the people I worked with and I loved my team, but I had to acknowledge that the answer was no. Right. And once you have that answer, you have to do something with that. 
right? Because if the answer had been yes, okay, I will, I will heal, I will recover, I will get back, and I will double down on my commitment to this role in this organization. But since the answer was no, I had to figure out what to do with that. And so while I was still on leave, I, you know, I, I spoke with some folks who were, you know, that I, that I knew and that I trusted and who really cared about me as a person and said, am I crazy to think that I should, you know, kind of move on and and do something like that. And, you know, the people that I reached out to were like, I've been waiting for your call. Like I've been (laughs) waiting for you to wake up to that part. Right. And so I went back to work. I gave notice and I, uh, this was around June, about July when I, when I came back in and I worked through, um, mid October. So it was a nice protracted kind of a leave because I didn't want to leave my team in the lurch. And people kept asking me, you know, what are you going to do next? And I said, I have no idea. I have no idea. And then they said, so, so why are you smiling so much? I'm like, because I know that this isn't it. And I know that I'm going to figure it out. And so that started a journey of kind of self-discovery, right? And so it took me about two years being out on my own to really figure out what it was that I wanted to specialize in. And I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs in your audience can relate to that, right? There are so many things we can do. There are Mm -hmm. so many things we enjoy doing, but where's that sweet spot of what we like to do, what we know how to do, and what a market uniquely needs from us, right? And so it took a while for me to to sort of figure that out. But that's really, you know, you talk to any entrepreneur, any founder, any solopreneur, the ones that I have had the good fortune to to cross paths with all have that sort of transformational story. It's not always Mm -hmm. cancer. But it, there's this sort of collision you have with the universe that wakes you up to, you're not on the right path. Try this one instead. Right. You got the bitch slap. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely right. Yep. Mine was, I moved here. I had to deal with getting divorced, moving kids to a new location, being a solo mother, et cetera, et cetera. And then once I started getting me my feet on the ground, moving up in the company, my mental health was like, hey. I've always been an issue and that was mine. And then getting into therapy, I've had, I am a completely different person. I had this huge transformation and that's how I'm here today. So it's, I mean, I have met people who knew from the womb, essentially what they were going to do. And they just went out there, built their company and have gone for it. But you're right. Most of the time you got to get punched in the face and be like, oh, this is not what I'm here for. I was just doing the next step. Like you're told all growing up, sit down, shut up, do what I say. You do that forever. Then you graduate, you get married, you have kids, you are stuck in a job that is okay. It's not what you want to do, but it pays the bills and you go until the universe is like, no. Yeah. And there's this sort of this universal belief and it's an absolute myth that, well, the reason it's called work is you're not supposed to enjoy it. And that is absolute bullshit. Here's the problem with us women in business. We, to just kind of speak about this, this sort of, you know, we are groomed to say, you know, go through school, that's fine, but go toward the goal of, you know, getting married, having kids, building a family. Mm -hmm. We are groomed to be nurturers. And quite honestly, we're very good at it. But in general, what that tends to mean is we put our needs second, right? And so you had the same problem I did, which was you were drowning out that voice in your head saying, we need something else. There's something going on here because it's never a good time for us to put everybody else's needs aside and make sure we take care of our own, right? But there's a reason people use that analogy of when you're on an airplane, 
you put your own mask on first if the oxygen mask comes out of the ceiling because you're no good to anybody else if you're all suffocating, right? Right. And what's the other analogy? You can't fill from an empty cup. So while we are natural nurturers, and that is that is true, let's use that in a way where we can nurture ourselves first and give from a place of abundance, not of, no, 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 that's okay, I'll eat last. Mm-hmm. My coach, her name's Katie Boyd, she brought up an analogy. It's the fill, you can't fill from an empty cup. And the way she said it totally reframed my thinking. And she said, she fills her cup first and whatever spills out is what she gives to others. So you're filling your cup first and then the abundance is what you give out. And once I was able to say, oh, you don't pour out from your almost empty cup, you fill your cup up and then it just pours out on its own and you can just help more and more and more. It has been a total game changer. There's this thing that you witness when you're in the you're in the presence of people who are doing their life's work, their their true purpose, you know, the, the thing that they were sort of called to do. There is this light that turns on within them, right? And I'll never forget when I was leaving corporate, the company was going through yet another rework because that's sort of the nature of, of corporate, right? And yeah. my my boss at the time, and I was really, I almost stayed because she's just this tremendous, tremendous person. And she was like, could, you know, can you stay and help me sort of, you know, get our team to the next level? And I was like, you know what, I've already sort of committed to this path and I'm glad I didn't stay. She said to me, you know, cause I said, you're in good hands and there are people here and, you know, from a, you're, you're just, you're, you're going to be fine. You're going to be well taken care of. And she said, when you're in the front of a room and you're doing a training or you're facilitating, or you're, you know, just speaking to, to a large group, she said, Claire, there is this light that cu- that just emanates from you. And she said, I don't know if you feel it, but we all see it. And that stayed with me because I didn't like really notice. I mean, I kind of noticed that, but until she said it, I hadn't really recognized it. Right. And it is so true. Like when I'm in the room with a group of leaders, with, you know, their team, with whoever, there is this switch that flips in me. And it's not about me performing. It's about me sharing from that place of light and to your point from abundance that just sort of steers it and just sort of like lets me let go and and just give, you know, as much as I can. So yeah, that that sort of, you know, giving from a full cup, not from, you know, the the drip, drip, drip of an empty, <laughs> empty or nearly empty one is a huge, huge difference. It is. It really is. And as a mom, especially, but parents, that shift is so hard. But I will tell you, I'm a better mom now. I am. Did you have a formal education? I did have a formal education. Yeah, I uh, <laughs> I went to college, went to grad school, got a certification since then. But yeah. And also, uh, I am the daughter of a, of a retired school teacher. Uh, my mom was a, was a school teacher. So yeah, education is kind of in my blood. Is your education in what you're currently doing? Not at all. No. My <laughs> so my degree, my bachelor's degree was in English because you know why not just your native language, right? So might as well. I figured that would come naturally to me. Um, and then my master's was really more in a um, sort of professional and technical communications. At the time that I went for my master's, I was in a corporate communications role, so that had a little bit more alignment with what I was doing at the time. But uh, yeah, not undergrad. If you if you had said to me 20 years ago, you are going to go into human resources or at some point in your career, go through human resources, I would have told you you were crazy. Mm-hmm. 
If you had told me five years ago I would host a podcast, I would have said you were crazy. I get it. Yeah. 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 I I like to ask, and I think only one or two people, like I said, some people come out of the womb and they're like, this is what I'm going to be. Most of them, they get a degree and I've never had anyone not grateful for it because Mm -hmm. it helps with your writing So if you're doing copy for your business, it helps with communication. You do learn stuff about business, but mostly they're not working in the field that they went to school for because it's asinine to have a child decide what they're going to do for the rest of their life. It just is. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of talk and I'm sure some of your guests in answering that question uh, sort of bring this up, but there, there, there has been sort of this fundamental shift in attitude toward formal education versus certifications versus, you know, the school of of hard knocks, so Mm -hmm. to speak. You know, I am very loyal to formal education because that is my upbringing and my background. But I think, you know, the other, the other piece of formal education, especially undergrad that I am eternally grateful for is not necessarily the life skills it taught me or the skills that were applicable to the career path that I embarked on. But it was more of the, during those formative years, it was a socialization quite honestly, Mm -hmm. right? It was the first time that I lived away from home. It was the first time I had to make decisions for myself on everything from, you know, what I was going to eat for meals, how I was going to spend my time, how I was going to divide my day and make sure I balanced the commitments of schoolwork and socializing and, you know, discovering alcohol in large quantities and all those sorts of things, right? (laughs) Those are things that at least for me, until I went to college, I was very sheltered. And, you know, I grew up in a, in a two parent household that was very protective and an older brother who threatened any guy who came around, like not to go near his sister. So like all of that was so new to me and talk about like drinking from a fire hose. I mean, like the the experience of that was as invaluable to my formation (laughs) as an adult and my worldview as any of the classes that I took. Yeah. I went hard knocks. I had my child at 17, then graduated high school and just have been working ever since. So I did mine a little bit different. So I didn't get to experience it, but that child is now 18 and off to college has her own place that's through the school and getting to see her experience these things. I feel exactly what you just said. It's, it's not what I got to experience because that is my lot in life. You know, that's how I had to go through with it, but she's learning a lot real quick. Yeah, I bet. So what's been your biggest obstacle in getting this pursuit and endeavor going? You know, I would say, cause now I've been doing this for over, over 10 years. And I, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, it took me two years to kind of figure out what I was going to specialize in. So I formed my company uh, in 2013. So we're coming up on the 10 year anniversary of that. I think looking back, the biggest obstacle was getting clarity. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, you know, like I said earlier, there were so many things that I knew that I could do. It was in those early days, it was not just about, okay, which of those things would bring in some revenue. As I got more confident and I got more momentum built throughout my business, it was really about getting to a place where I said, I'm going to lean into what I believe I want to offer the world versus chase the revenue, right? Mm -hmm. And I think most of us, when we first start out on an entrepreneurial journey, by necessity, we have to chase the revenue. We have to do whatever's going to, you know, as you said before, 
pay the bills, right? Whatever's going to bring in some level of income. And in those early days, that's absolutely essential because you have to establish some floodgate, right? You have to establish some source of income, at least in the beginning, not only to start to build up your brand reputation, but to build up your own confidence that you can actually make it as a solopreneur. And I know for me, like getting that first like freelance assignment or contract or gig or whatever it was in those early days was so satisfying, not specifically for the work that I was doing, although that was interesting. It was for the fact that, wow, this experiment of mine actually worked. Like someone was willing to pay me to do, you know, something that I can do well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those early days were a lot of that piecemeal, let me do a bunch of different things that I can do because these are people who will pay me for that. Mm -hmm. And it took me, I think, longer than it should have in hindsight, if I were to be my own coach, you know, for those early, early years to say, really do the hard work up front of finding that sweet spot, right? All the things you could do, all the things you really enjoy doing in ways that the market, your ideal market, you know, wants to, wants to seek you out to deliver. And it's hard to do that in the beginning. One, because you're so busy chasing some income that Mm -hmm. you don't kind of pull back and do that hard work. And two, if you don't tap into a guide to help you through that process, it is extremely difficult to get all those voices in your head to cooperate, right? And to sort yeah. of line up in, in that regard. So it's not just the discipline, because I think most entrepreneurs have the discipline and have the grit and have the commitment to, to figure it out. It's more of the, how can I guide myself or get the right guide along this journey so I don't have to trip over so many obstacles in the early years? So my husband and I, we're talking about getting a loan and he is working on building his credit. He was looking to get one on his own so that it could help him. And he works for our business. So he walked into the bank and he's like, Hey, I'm looking for a loan. And there, here's my pay stubs. Here's everything. And they're like, so you own this business? He's like, yes. And they're like, well, we need the profit and loss for the last couple of years for your business. We we're talking about it. And he's like, if I didn't tell them that I owned this business, they would never ask that. It shouldn't matter. And it really solidified to me the backwards thinking that's out there. Like when you own the business, you are 100% in control of whether you get paid or not. That's right. In my job, I am in a more corporate structure. I could be fired on Monday. You know, you give everything, you do everything, but I have zero control about what happens. He has a hundred percent control. Yeah. But and way more at stake. Yes. And to make sure the business stays afloat. Oh my gosh, that is a fantastic point. You are far more vulnerable when you work for somebody else than when you work on your own. I I I cannot agree with you more. And it's preached the opposite. We're told, don't go out on your own. It's too volatile. I'm sure that a little bit of the issue that you had at the beginning was that lack mindset of, oh my gosh, I have to get more, get more, get more, because you never know when it's going to go because I'm not guaranteed a job. When really, that's when you are guaranteed a job because you're doing everything. It's I The way that it's been pushed on us backwards is just beyond me and seeing seeing the difference now like my eyes being open to it I'm like holy shit everything's a lie yeah you know what's so funny slash ironic is in the in the final weeks of my corporate career and like I said I had a very elongated kind of notice period so people knew for months that I was moving on I had so many people pull me aside and say are you nuts like have you thought this through 
you have a really good job, a really, you know, you're on this upper trajectory. I was being groomed for, you know, for even higher level executive positions and, and all of that. And they were like, you know, with the economy being what it is, why would you walk away from such a stable role and, and go out into the great unknown? And these are the same people who a week later were like, could you stop smiling so much? Like you keep walking around with this huge smile on your face because you're leaving. And then like, you know, and, and to your point, it's so backwards. And, yeah. and half of those people who had pulled me aside and said, are you nuts in the, in the three years, you know, from that point had lost their jobs or had moved on. So your point is exactly correct. The, the, the stability we convince ourselves that we have in a full-time job is a myth. And the banking system is built around that. The insurance companies are built around that. When I, you know, when I called up the insurance broker, you know, to, to sort of explain, I, I need certain, you know, professional liability insurance and errors and emissions and all of that stuff. And they said, you know, explain what your company does because especially in those early days, I didn't have a, a sort of a sweet spot niche, like, you know, mission statement, so to speak, totally like, mm-hmm. um, nailed. And so when I explained to them what I did, they were like, oh, that's like, that's a, that's a hard category to find for insurance. And I don't know like how we're going to classify you. And it's like, but I'm a person who's a business owner. Like, let's just get that done. Like, why is it so hard? You know, overcomplicate what should have been simple. Yeah. I don't know how it can be adjusted or if it will, it might be one of those things that's so ingrained. I mean, the education system as it's been built was to industrialize people so that they could work for the companies. So I don't know how we can more easily get this information out there, except what we're doing right now and just talk about it and say, Hey, guess what? They say it's harder, but that's the only time you are 100% guaranteed that if you do the work, you can get rewarded. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think to your point, I'm so glad we're, you're, you're taking us down this, this road. The higher education system takes forever to evolve, which we know. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, what, what is one of the biggest complaints of large organizations, the people coming out of the college system do not have the skills that we need to move our company into the next century, right? To help us grow the business and sort of replace in an upskilled sort of way, the people that are exiting through retirement. And so the larger organizations started to get together like years ago and say, we need to influence and impact how higher education institutions are preparing, you know, students to enter the workforce. And so it took those large organizations to start to impact the evolution of of how higher education was helping to train Mm -hmm. the next generation of the workforce. They don't have it completely right yet, but it's a start. And so I think to your point, I think it's going to take again, companies, employers, forward-thinking businesses to influence how the banks are financing people and the insurance companies are supporting, you know, and protecting risk. Right before the pandemic, I was working with big companies on their strategic plans. And before we knew that COVID was a thing, we were building strategic plans with a 10 and 20 year horizon. Mm -hmm. And then enter COVID and all of that got shelved. And then their focus was around, how do we keep the lights on? How do we keep people paid? How do we shift to a remote, you know, workforce and and all all the challenges that 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 brings up. But during those discussions, the more forward-thinking, bigger organizations were starting to plan for what we now know as the gig economy. And so they were already starting to see around the corner that if they were going to evolve the organization and grow in a way that was sustainable and grow in a way that could outpace their competitors, 
they had to embrace the concept that not every person they were going to need to contribute to their mission was going to be a full-time employee. Mm -hmm. And so again, I think to your point, it's these large complex organizations that are going to help shape and better support those of us who are on the outside saying, we want to contribute to your mission. We want to help you achieve success and sustainable growth. We just don't want to do it as a full-time employee. We want to do it on our own terms. Right. And so I do think we are seeing that evolutionary shift, but I think it is being dictated by the large employers who want to tap into that talent on more of an as-needed flexible basis. And they're not waiting for higher education to figure out how to build that type of a worker or or the banks or the insurance companies to help finance and manage the risk of that. Yeah. They're just hoping that one of us crazies that (laughs) are like unplugging from the system will just be there for them. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, you know, keep in mind what, what COVID did for most businesses that were able to survive it, right? It really did force them to create an environment where their best people could get their work done from wherever they were. Now, you and I both know there are certain roles in certain industries where you just flat out can't do it remotely, Right. But for right. those that could, they figured out how to do it because it was the literally evolve or die. Right. And so I think that, you know, there's a, there's this silver lining to COVID, right? If we choose to see it and there's, there's, I mean, obviously all the disaster and the catastrophe and the chaos that that has created. But on the upside, companies started to understand, wait a minute. So we don't have to have people coming into an office five days a week with core business hours and all of that. They're actually happier if we take away their commute and we take away the, you must punch in at this time and punch out at that time. And if we just get clearer on the outcomes we want them to achieve and give them the flexibility to do it in ways that best align with their other commitments, i.e. family and, you know, doctor's appointments and, you know, vacations and all that sort of thing, it's a win-win. I agree. And I think that not only did the more evolved companies come to those conclusions, but I think that COVID really opened the eyes of people to, holy shit, literally everything can be shut down. Nothing is in my control. And yeah, I don't want to work for someone who's going to dictate and reprimand me if I'm five minutes late because I had a flat tire and my ran over my dog and all this stuff. They don't care. I'm not going to work for someone like that. And now I can work from anywhere for the more evolved companies, why not? And it's and it's why you're seeing, yeah, 100%. And it's why you're seeing the great resignation and the quiet quitting and all of those sorts of things. It's because when we got through the worst of COVID, the less evolved companies who did not pay attention to the lessons of the pandemic said, okay, everybody back to work. We're going to shift right back to, you know, uh, nine to five, Monday through Friday, you have to be in the office. And when you ask those leaders why, Like, give me a legitimate business critical reason that they have to be back on site all the time. And they couldn't tell me. And it's like, well, because we're, we're, we're back to normal. And it's like, there, but there is no going back and your workers don't want that anymore. And they have proven to you that they can get their work done better in more Mm -hmm. flexible ways and more innovative ways. If you stop requiring, uh, you know, restrictions that don't mean anything for no reason at all. I bet you have this conversation all the time with all, leaders. All, all the time. <laughs> you know, um, more so when the restrictions did start to lift and companies were starting to have that big debate internally of, you know, do we require people to come back or not? One of my big guiding principles with every leader in every company that, that I work with is around this notion of why. 
right? Why does that matter? Why is that important? Why is that a decision you're contemplating? How is it going to move the needle to where you're trying to get to as an organization? And if you don't have the answers to that, or if the answers are stupid, then you need to revisit it. Because I said so. I mean, (laughs) you know, so now, so now you just triggered me. So like this is because I said, so, or do as I say, not as I do this, this, you know, these leaders, and I'm going to use air quotes because to me, the people who say that are not actually, actually leaders, but they are holding on with their dying last breath to this whole command and control type of leadership that went out decades ago. And they're, they're still longing for that. The workers now you know, they want to say, oh, these millennials don't want to work and these people don't want to pay their dues and whatever. And maybe there's a there's a you know portion of the workforce for which that's true. Spoiler alert, that's not limited to millennials. There are some people across any any you know generation who don't want to work as hard or who want to, you know, skip the the, the paying their dues steps. What workers are demanding now and are expecting and quite honestly are entitled to is a bit more clarity around what you want me to achieve, a a company they can believe in, a culture where they feel like they belong, and an opportunity to to bring their best talents and their best passions and their best ideas to a place that appreciates those. That's what they want. Oh, so you mean employer or employees are looking to be treated as humans now? Rude. The the (laughs) friggin' nerve, right? The absolute unmitigated gall of people who want to be respected for what they bring and who they are and not right? just, you know, what their title is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> where we are. This is where is, we are. Make it work. It is. And I love watching it. Like some of the things I am old. Okay. I'm older than I look. I'm older than my years because I, my kids come to me and they're like, bruh and Brad and Mer and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with you children? But then there are times I'm like, yes, question yeah. it. Yes. Don't don't just yes, ma'am, me say, why, mom? And I'll be like, here's the answer. And they can't argue it and they go do it. I'm like, yes, ask the questions. Yep. Question authority. <laughs> don't yep. just do. I so I'm very excited. It's irritating as I'll get out. I will tell you, it is annoying as fuck but it's I'm so excited to see because we I'm I'm a millennial I'll say I'm a millennial we want to be treated as humans because guess what I'm a human I really am I'm not a number like I can give you numbers I can give you my weight I can give you my height I can give you my age but that is not me right and I love seeing that we're finally to the point where it is the people that are being listened to and not yeah. just the 30 under the the manager, you well, know, the and, 30 head count. And, and you want to be part of something bigger than just you. Yes. And isn't that what companies want? Isn't that what company, you know, companies have always said, we want you to come here and help us win, right? But employees also want that to be mutual. They want to win in some way as well. And it's not just about being paid more. And it's not just about having decent benefits. The purpose of your benefits program should be to completely give your employees peace of mind. So they're not worrying about whether they're, you know, whether they have enough insurance to go to a doctor if they're sick. That's the purpose of benefits. Stop making that more complicated than it is. Mm -hmm. Your employees want to understand why they should give of themselves, give more of their time, give more of their ideas, give more of their passion and their energy. If they can't find a connection, 
if they can't find that, yes, this is a place I belong, this is a place that I would love to contribute to and spend time in, then you're doing it wrong. And this is why you're losing people. I absolutely love this. And we could talk forever on this, but I'm going to respect your time. So I'm going to kind of move on a little bit, but actually, I don't know if I am because <laughs> I'd like to know what's helped you most in pursuing this. And I'm feeling a lot of passion from you. So I'm going to guess that's part of it. But yeah, do you have anything else that's really helped you? I, so I love that. So thank you for, for reflecting that. As you can probably tell, I'm a pretty high energy person, yeah. especially when I get going on, you know, a conversation like this about something that I do, that I do deeply care about, right? That I've seen done in amazing ways and I've seen done in such backwards ways. And I think the answers for people are a lot easier and a lot simpler than they're making them out to be. So that certainly helps. And for me, like I said, you know, those early years were about how can I do as many different things as possible that people would pay me to do? Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm very blessed and very grateful that I've gotten to the point where I can, I can say no to opportunities that don't, that don't feel good, that don't align with me, that don't give me an opportunity, not just to contribute some great things, but also to witness amazing breakthroughs. When I get into a room with people and I facilitate a leadership retreat or I facilitate some strategic planning, I always say to people, I'm the I'm the least important person in the room. I'm really here to create an environment and create a conversation where you all can bring out of yourselves in a in a healthier, more collective, more cohesive way, the magic that you have that you just need to get, you know, channeled in the right way in the right direction to achieve amazing things and impact the world. That's why I'm there. Because if I'm not there to help facilitate that, you're not, you, you haven't figured out how to do that among, among yourselves. And so it's definitely the passion. It's definitely being really selective in doing the things that light me up. Because again, people notice when you're lit up versus you're, you're yes. just sort of phoning it in. Right. And that goes for full-time employees as well. But it's also about being selective, not just about the what that I get to do, but who I get to do it with. And so, you know, I'm at a point where the clients that I get the the privilege to work with are are people that I love, right? Mm-hmm. They're people that I would have in my home. They are people that I care about, you know, what happens to them, you know, so much so that when they move on to different companies, I'm one of their first calls and they say, now, now come in and, and keep working with me because I love the experience we have and we're in the same room. Mm-hmm. So that's what keeps me going. It's so awesome too. I'm sure every time you feel it, All right. I'm making some assumptions here. Assumption is, hey, Claire, can you come help? We're having some issues. You walk in a room and they're like, headbutting. And then you leave the room at the end of it. And it's all kumbaya and let's build a better team. I can't imagine what the feeling is of that transformation watching it. And that's got to be so, so worth it. It is truly life affirming. So let me tell you a quick story. So typically when someone calls me and says, you know, Claire, we, we, we need you to come in. We're not, you know, we're not firing all, on all cylinders or there's some, some trust issues or whatever. I typically, before I just walk into a room cold and see a lot of that, nye, 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 I do a lot of groundwork before I even walk in the room. Right. So I will have some deep conversations with the highest ranking executive that I can get access to to really understand what's going on from their perspective mm-hmm. and what's kind of troubling or, or you know, um, sort of blockers for them because I can sniff it a mile away when an executive is like, I need you to work on, you know, with my dysfunctional team, but I'm not going to be involved because I'm perfect, right? right? Or I've already gotten to the pinnacle of my career. I don't need development. I certainly don't welcome feedback. I've worked for people like that. I've been around people like that. 
and I have a strict no asshole policy. So like that, that <laughs> I won't, I won't take those jobs. Right. Yeah. But when those people are genuinely saying, I need you to come in and help our team to work together more effectively. And I am going to go through whatever process you put them through. Then I'm all in. Mm-hmm. And then I have conversations again, before I walk into that room full of leaders, I talk with everyone one-on-one to really understand what is it that I am really walking into and what for each of them individually, do they need to feel or understand or believe to feel like that, you know, that together time was worthwhile. So one of the retreats I did recently was with a group of executive leaders. And, and so this whole process is exactly what I took them through the, the mm-hmm. top ranking executive called me, said, I need you to come in and work with our team. There's, you know, there's some massive issues with trust and we have some very ambitious strategic objectives we need to accomplish over the next five years. But people don't get along. Uh, There's a lot of silos. There's a lot of us versus them. There's a lot of drama. So Mm -hmm. had some deep conversations with that executive, had some one-on-ones with the people that were going to be in the room. I walk into the room and I'm early because I'm setting things up and, you know, whatnot. Each of the executives walks into the room And if they were talking to anybody else in the room, it was just strictly about business, whatever the near-term thing was that they needed to catch up on. They weren't like talking as friends. They weren't saying, oh, how was your weekend? There was none of that. It was all, Mm -hmm. if they talked at all, it was business and it was pretty superficial. Right. So then I took them through my process, which is a, for them, it was a half day. Sometimes it's a week, but this happened to be a half day retreat. And we focused on getting them to better understand themselves and each other on a human level. And I won't bore you with all the details of the methodology. What I will say is by the time we were done with that half day session, they were joking with each other. They were teasing each other. They were teasing the highest ranking executive whom half of them before the session had told me was a bit of a bully, was very intimidating, was always shutting down ideas, was not very personable. They were teasing this person. Mm -hmm. We all went out to dinner afterwards and they were practically vacuuming around us because no one wanted to leave. It's those sorts of transformations. So your assumption is correct. It's those sorts of transformations that I get the opportunity, yes, to sort of create but more so that I get to witness that just keep me going. I couldn't imagine how how fulfilling that is. And what a life to be living, Claire. That is so exciting for you. Pretty freaking cool. I have to say, <laughs> I had a couple of uh, folks from that particular client who, who uh, you know, we would talk afterwards and they said, you really like what you do, don't you? Like you have the coolest job. I'm like, yeah, I do, kind of do. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. You have given lots and lots of advice through this whole podcast, but I'm going to ask you specifically if you could give someone advice who wants to enter your field, who is looking to better their team as an executive besides hiring you, what advice would you give them? Whether you are a solopreneur, a consultant, a business owner, an executive in a large organization, the thing that you are employees, your peers, your market, your clients are hungry for is authenticity. And what I mean by that is they can, an employee can go to work for anybody, right? A client can go, um, there are, there are thousands of people within a Google search that a company can search for to do ostensibly what I do right on the surface. It's only through the unique experience that you create by truly being your true self as a leader, as a facilitator, as an employee. And I sum that all up with my mantra, which is don't tone down your walk for anyone. And that deserves a little bit of an explanation if you will indulge me. 
So the final year that I was in corporate, you know, and remember I left because I got this cancer diagnosis kind of woke me up to the life I wasn't living and blah, 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 blah. And here we are. But like that last year, I was, I remember distinctly, I was walking back to my office. Probably I finally found 30 seconds to go pee. Right. And so I'm going back to my office and my boss is not the one I mentioned earlier, but my, my boss at the time stopped me in the hall and he said, I need you to tone down your walk. And I go, um, what now? And he said, your, your walk, it's very bouncy and it's too, it's too happy. And, and people, and I'm working in HR and people are, you know, sort of like wondering if you're up to something, if you know something, they don't. Okay. Thanks. So, so thanks for that. I'm going to, I'll be in my office. Mm-hmm. And of course I didn't, you know, heed his advice. Fast forward to I'm back at work. I had given notice, but I wasn't gone yet, but I was still going quite regularly for blood work because it's, you know, part, sort of the, <laughs> the part of my life now. Right. Life and so after, I, yep. you know, I'm, I go into the like waiting room and you wait to get called and you go back and you get blood. And, you know, so I'm walking toward the exit. And this woman comes up to me who was in the waiting room. And she said, I have to tell you, you have the happiest walk I've ever seen. And given where we are sitting, I just needed to tell you that because you made my day. That's why I don't tone down my walk. And that's why no one else should either. And I don't care if you're a leader, you're an employee, you're a business owner, you're a solopreneur, or you are just walking the earth, still figuring it out. Never tone down your walk for anyone. You gave me chills. I love that so much because- You're right. Becoming a business owner, putting myself out there. There's that, you know, whatever you want to call it, imposter Imposter syndrome. syndrome. Yes. (laughs) Yep. And that is one of the things that has made me continue. And I've gotten to the point where people are like, Dina, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for talking about date night. You reminded me how important it is, even with all of life's fuss, to spend some time with my wife, you know, and it's because I'm me. I will share that we had a bad day and still had date night. I will share that I have horrible sessions in therapy. I will share that I have raging diarrhea. Yes, I share TMI. It's just me, but that's, it's authentic. It's my walk. My walk is TMI. My walk is a filthy fucking mouth. (laughs) And my walk is telling you that if you're suicidal and you, you can get through it, and if you have CPTSD, you can come out of the depths and heal and you can be a good mom and a business owner and get your fucking nails done and take care of yourself first. And that's my walk. I say a lot of the things that I've been taught which means I'm regurgitating information that I've consumed through other people. But I say it in my walk. And I fucking love that saying so much, Claire. And I'm sorry, I'm getting excited. So my mouth is horrible. I love it. I love it. I love that so much. And I'm stealing it. I'm not stealing it. No, repurpose it. Of course. Of course. Listen, it is far too exhausting to be somebody you are not, to try to put on a, a, a facade or a persona that is not natural to you. I do so much work with leaders about first understanding what is natural to you? What is your true fast lane? What are your natural talents? What motivates you? How do you show up in the world when you are completely in your comfort zone? Right. What's your what's your uh, equivalent of dancing when no one's looking like what does that dance look like for you? It is exhausting to pretend to be something you're not. 
So stop fucking doing it. How about that first step? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is so accurate. I'm now in leadership and I'm doing it my way. And I'm different than most people when I walk in the room because I am very smiley. It's just my personality. It's not because, hey, girl, why don't you smile more? It's just me. I, unfortunately, that means in the most awkward situations, I'm there smiling and they're like, what the fuck are you laughing for? And I'm like, (laughs) I'm not. It's literally my face. Yeah, right, right. But my team loves me. And I'm starting to influence the way other leaders are with their teams. And it's just because I'm not trying. It's because I will walk in a room and say, hey, this week I asked my team a really stupid question. And I want to know your answers because we had such a fun conversation. What superpower would you have? Mm. And have executives talking about fantasies from their childhood just because it's what I like. (laughs) Well, and it's effortless, right? And I yes. don't mean to say that you don't work hard because of course you it's abundantly clear that you work hard. But the more you are authentic, the more you stay, you know, in your fast lane, doing things that come naturally to you that sort of feed you, right? And motivate you and energize you. And you let that, you know, again, it's like we've been talking about through this whole conversation, right? It's spilling out the abundance is, you know, serving from a full cup. It's serving from that light inside of you. The more you do those things, the less it feels like work. And the more it just feels like the gifts that I have are like bursting out of me because there's this, this abundance, there's the, there is this spilling over. And so it would actually de-energize me not to share it, right? Right. It's, it, it is almost effortless when you're in that kind of a zone and you're being authentic to who you are. So keep doing that girl. Cause you're, you're, you're crushing it. Thank you're clearly you. crushing it. Well, and the biggest thing that I'd like to tell everyone listening is at first it's scary. It's so Mm -hmm. vulnerable showing it into a room of executives and people that you don't know and being 100% authentically you because it's Mm -hmm. different. But once you get past the initial anxiety of being vulnerable, it is so freeing. I don't end the day exhausted. And that exhaustion is from the fucking mask I've held over my face or whatever the entire day. You don't have to take off the mask and be mom. You just are done. And then you move on. You don't have this whole disengaging from work and then moving into home zone. It's so freeing. So pushing through that uncomfort of vulnerability when you initially try it is totally worth it. And I suggest everyone just be more you. Just walk your walk. (laughs) Yeah. And and think of it not as a switch, but as a dial, right? So I think Mm. too often people think, well, the the work me, I have to flip a switch and kind of be on. And it's not about that. It's about dialing up or dialing back what is truly you in ways that align with your energy, your audience, you know, kind of where you are at that particular time. You don't always have to be you at a 10, but you should always be you. Exactly. And I don't share everything in every situation, but I am still me. That's 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 my suggestion. You don't have to be 100% open and honest and share everything with everyone you meet. You just have to be yourself. Right. So you've given us your best advice that I'm stealing forever and ever. Amen. (laughs) Please do. (laughs) But I would like to know what is the best advice you've received? You know, there's so much advice over the years that I have received, but I go back to something my mom said years and years ago, 
And it was advice that she had received while she was a school teacher from one of the principals she worked for. And, and it stuck with her and she shared it with me and it stuck with me, which was never move backwards, always keep moving forward. And for me, I've kind of evolved that to, to sort of this advice around, it doesn't matter the size of the step, as long as it's forward. When I had that little voice in my head that I finally couldn't outrun that said, are you doing what you're passionate about? I knew that my favorite role when I was in corporate was the one I had previous to the one that I was in, which was, you know, the head of, of talent development and talent management. And no surprise, it's really kind of what I focus on now. And I knew that could have been an option to sort of negotiate a, a sort of a, a backward step and go back into that role. But I always remembered that advice and I knew that that was not the right path. The right journey was forward and I didn't know all the steps and I didn't know how big the steps were going to be. I just knew that I had to keep moving forward and, and the path was going to reveal itself. Yes. So yeah, it's, it's never go back. Always keep moving forward. It's a great one. Now we have talked so much about business. I need to know what you do for fun. We got to lighten it up in here. <laughs> so my husband and I are actually, we live in different states during the week. I'm in New Jersey. He's in New York. So we only get together during the weekend, but that's actually fine because, you know, we can both sort of focus on work. He he has a very demanding job. I have one that, that consumes me in a very passionate way. And so when we get together on the weekend, it's not about, you know, laundry, although there's always laundry and it's not about, you know, paying the bills because let's face it, I sort of handle that. Right. It's just about how do we how do we maximize our time together? When it's the summer months here in New Jersey, we live right along the coast. So we spend a lot of time either at the beach. We happen to have a boat. He convinced me to have a boat. That's a story for another time. <laughs> um, so we will take the boat out or go fishing. We do like to travel because of the demands of his job and because I'm a solopreneur that only you know, brings in revenue if I'm actually working. Mm -hmm. I don't go on extensive trips, but we do go on a lot of day trips. And then when I'm not doing all of that during the week, if the weather's good, if my dad calls me and says, you want to golf tomorrow? If I can make that happen, which I would not have been able to do if I had stayed in corporate, I, right. I move stuff around and I go golfing with dad. That's awesome. I think it's so important. We've talked about filling our cup. You have to have something that's yours and not work-related. Like, mm -hmm. I know you're passionate, I'm passionate, but you have to have something to remind you of who you are and why you do everything you do. So kudos to you for having all those things. My husband, he says boat stands for bust out another thousand. Is that accurate? <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> Yeah, we joke about getting one, but we're more into ATVs and going camping and losing oh, nice. ourselves in the woods. So that's go. what we're that's what we're blowing our money on. I love it. I love it. So your background is books. I'm guessing that means you read. What are you reading? Uh, I I do read. Uh, a couple of those are ones that I've I've written. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that the one right above my head, which your your audience can read, see, but it, yeah, Brene Brown is just. She is the woman, right? Yeah. What am I reading right now? Um, I'm in between business books at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. There's There are a couple here that were really, really good. Ray Dalio's Principles is awesome. Patrick Bet David, over this way, uh, Your Next Five Moves is phenomenal. And it's a pretty easy read. It's relatively short. Anyone in your audience who's either a leader, aspiring to be a leader, a solopreneur, a business owner, pick that one up. It is chock full of, of really good business principles that you can sort of adapt. Principles, of course, by Ray Dalio is really chock full, but it's like this massive tome of a book and, you know, you right. certainly can't read it in one sitting. Awesome. Now, 
plug your books. What'd you write? <laughs> uh, so I've got a few here. So my first book that I published is The Whirlpool Effect, which is over there. I have the reverse thing on uh, the <laughs> effect. So uh, all my books are available on, on Amazon. Um, somebody just asked me earlier this week, which of the books that I've written was my favorite. And I have to say it was that one. It won because it was such a labor of love to get that first book out into the world. And two, because the, the, the whirlpool effect is a metaphor for leadership. And so I, I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, summers are quite hot and humid. And um, I was not the kid with the swimming pool in my backyard. So, of course, the kid with the swimming pool in her backyard was the most popular kid on the block. Mm -hmm. And so she's still one of my very best friends today. And we would all gather at her house and go in the pool. And invariably, one of the kids from the neighborhood who was in the pool would shout whirlpool. Mm -hmm. And we all knew what that meant. And you're smiling and nodding. So, you know, Mm -hmm. too, like we just instantly just stopped whatever else we were doing and started following each other in a circle. And after a couple of laps, you could pick up your feet and get carried along by the current. And how cool was that, right? Or you and turn it, and try to fight the current. Or, right, or you turn and, and right. And, and so the book kind of talks about that too, the concept oh. of change, right? Kind of going against the, the current. And it's a metaphor for leadership, right? You need one simple, compelling message that everyone immediately understands and can enthusiastically get behind so that they contribute their best heads, hands, and hearts to making it a reality. That's really all leadership is. And we overcomplicate it. So if you understand that that's really what it's about is to create this whirlpool effect, it makes everything else a lot easier. For sure. I'm picking that one up. That'll be on on this shelf. Oh, there you go. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's really all the questions I have for you. I'm... I have loved this conversation and taking all of your time, Claire. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. This has been awesome. I could talk to you all day. So let's clear our calendars. Just keep going. Agreed. (laughs) Well, I do have other, but we can do a Zoom later if you want. All right, cool. (laughs) So where can listeners find you? You already Uh, said Amazon for all of your books. Yeah, go grab my books on Amazon. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're linked on my website too, but but definitely go to my website, clairechandler.net. I'm sure you're going to drop that link in the show notes. Um, And then as far as social media, uh, I mostly am on LinkedIn, at least professionally. Um, I am on Facebook and and Instagram. uh, And I do have a YouTube channel, but it is mostly uh, my chinchilla who is my little office mate, um, who uh, had a bunch of, um, yeah, I didn't mention him yet. So he has a bunch no. of leadership tips. So he puts out a little leadership tip every morning. Um, so look for him. It's called Chin Up Leadership. Uh, I'm happy to send you the link if you'd like that. But uh, yeah, he's I he more subscribers that. than I do. So. I need that in my life. Go check yeah, him I out. have five cats and a dog. I'm obsessed oh, with animals. So yes, I need to know. <laughs> All of Chin Up's tips. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) All right, Claire, thank you so much. I've, again, really appreciated this and I hope you have a great day. Thank you, you too. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for listening today. I hope you had as much fun as I did. If you liked this, please rate, review, and subscribe to ensure that you can more easily find me in the future. To continue this and more conversations, you can always find me at d at fragmentors.com. That's D-E-A at fragmentors.com on Instagram and Facebook at Fragmentors. And I also have a Facebook group uh, called Fragmentors where all the ladies with like-minded business sense hang out and enjoy. Thank you again. Bye. We got the right stuff.